Father, I want to praise you for the work of Jesus. You're, you're moving among us. God, I'm so grateful, so grateful for how you care for us, how you love us. And Lord, I want to thank you that nothing can stop you. You are unstoppable. And Father, nothing reminds us of that more than Jesus going to a cross and being crucified and appearing as though God had suffered defeat at the hands of his enemy, only to be raised again to brand new life three days later. And as the Bible said, to lead a host of victorious people in his train. And so God, we praise you. We praise you for the victorious work of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for that power to be expressed among us today. Would you please teach us? Because Father, if you don't teach us the Bible, I have no hope to do that. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to be the teacher today, Lord. And Father, we know we're not the only church, not only in this city, but around this world who loves Jesus and preaches the gospel. And I pray for all of your people to be filled with your spirit for an in-gathering of these last days, a harvest of souls among the people of this earth. And I pray specifically for First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs and specifically Pastor Frank Pomeroy, Lord. He and his family have suffered deep and tremendous loss. Deep and dark suffering. And Lord, I ask that as only you can, would you comfort them by the presence of your spirit? And would a victorious risen Jesus manifest his presence among them in a way that would give them peace that surpasses understanding? And may this once again be a monument that the worst hell can do to try and defeat the people of God will never be a match for the abundant grace of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Do that work in us, I pray. Do that work in all your people, I pray. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew 26? Matthew 26. A little bit of a change of plans. I had planned on preaching out of John 12. As I was preparing for this morning... I was looking at different passages that shared the same account as John chapter 12. Matthew 26 is one of those parallel passages. And I just felt the Spirit leading me to teach out of Matthew 26. So we're going to look at the same basic uh, story or, or account, but it's just going to be a different uh, perspective a little bit from Matthew 26. And let me just ask really quickly, do you guys have those pictures ready to go up there uh, that I sent in? Anybody have pictures ready? Yeah, they are. Okay, I, I saw Cindy nod. Yes, don't show them just yet. Hey, you guys may have heard that a new iPhone was released recently. You guys, you guys heard that news, a new iPhone? It made a lot of news, uh, not only because apparently it's a pretty cool gadget, because it's the most expensive iPhone yet to date. It costs basically $1,000 for the entry model. A lot of people are talking about $1,000 for an iPhone. They've always been expensive, but this is even more expensive than that. And here's the deal. A couple weeks ago, before they actually went on sale, people could pre-order these $1,000 iPhones, okay? So you could go online and you could pre-order. Well, uh, the night that, uh, that the pre-orders were able to be made, uh, Apple sold out, globally sold out of all their iPhones in a matter of like five minutes. Five minutes. 
These $1,000 phones were already sold out. A couple weeks later, when the phones were available in stores, it was the same thing. Globally, these phones sold out in just a matter of minutes. People were lining up by the tens of millions around the world to get their hands on one of these $1,000 phones. I actually uh, got a couple of pictures of one of these events. Here's a picture from New York City. That right there is just the line to get into the store to get an attempt to get an iPhone 10. There's another picture uh, of another scene up and down. Look at that line down the street in New York City. People just trying to get their mitts on a brand new iPhone 10 for $1,000, not to mention, you got to pay like $50 to $100, average cell phone bill, $50 to $100 a month just to use the dad blame thing. So $1,000 off the bat, $50 to $100 every month. And the question has to come to our minds, why on earth would we do that? Why would we do that? And here's the deal. Because we think it's worth it. Because we think that the accessibility, the mobility of being able to have uh, text messaging or to be able to have a miniature computer right at our fingertips wherever we are, we think it's worth it. We think to have this really powerful electronic device that sometimes is actually used to make phone calls on rare occasions is actually worth it for us in our lives. Well, here's the deal. Uh, I did a little bit more research. I found another phone on sale, and this is just a little public service announcement. I found this phone at Walmart.com. Walmart.com. It's really cool. $5.98. Less than $6 for this phone. You can actually make phone calls on it. It multitasks. You can multitask while you're doing it. Um, While you're talking, you can wrap the little cord around your finger. Anybody ever done that? You go long enough, you can can do that. that. That cord, by my experience, could probably stretch from the kitchen to the dining room uh, if you needed to do that. And, and, and I got the service agreement for this. Go to the next slide. Here's how much it'll cost you. 10 bucks a month. 10 bucks, $6 for the phone, 10 bucks a month to operate the thing. Here's, a, here's an interesting, and by, by the way, I intentionally included the fact that that's a screenshot from my iPhone because I, I, that's how I found it. And I, uh, it's not a new iPhone. Just saying. Anyhow, so the deal is this. I found this out. In 2010, 26% of American households no longer had a home phone, no longer had a landline because they were cell phone only. They'd gone totally mobile. Seven years later, now 2017, that number's doubled. 52%, over half of all the households in America, no longer have a landline because they've gone entirely mobile. How many of you guys have a cell phone but not a home phone, not a landline? Raise your hand. Look at that. Yeah, that, that was 47% of this, this. I did a quick math on that. Here, here's the deal. Here's the story. Emily and I have not had a landline for quite a few years. And I just want you to know, when we sat down and we finally made the decision why we would not have a landline, here's how we came to that conclusion. We were looking at our budget. We were talking about ways that we could, we could cut back a little bit and, 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 and better steward God's money. So we look at our budget. We get to the phone. Six bucks for the initial one. You're, you, don't, you don't have to buy it until it wears out, which is like what? Every 400 years? So, so six bucks initial investment, 10 bucks a month. Here's what we concluded. Literally, it's not worth it. <laughs> not worth it. I'm, I'm not spending 10 bucks a month on that. Are you kidding me? Who knows, who knows how long all that could go? We, we got rid of it. It's not worth it. Here's the, here's the scoop. Here's the scoop. All of us 
all the time are making decisions every single day about how we're going to spend our energy, how we're going to spend our resources, how we're going to spend our talents, our ability, our time. We're we're always making decisions all day long on how we're going to spend our lives based on whether or not we think it's worth it. That's the bottom line. And this passage of scripture we're looking at this morning is all about a woman who made an incredibly extravagant act of sacrifice based solely on the fact she thought it was worth it. So look at Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 6. Matthew 26, verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of God for us today. Here's here's what I was telling you earlier. This passage of scripture, this story is found in three different books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and John. Mark 14, John 12. So I want you to know in advance, I'm going to be drawing some details out of the other two accounts. I'll be using in the teaching, but I want you to know that these are, these are different perspectives on the same event. So if you have time this week, I encourage you, read those other two accounts, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate something in your own personal life uh, from that various kind of account or, or perspective that's given. We're going to look here at Matthew 26 though, and here's, here's the scene. Uh, the week before Jesus was crucified, he's spending some time in the city called Bethany that's right outside of Jerusalem. And, and in that town of Bethany, the people there decide to throw Jesus this huge party in the home of a guy named Simon. So we're reading here about a party that was being thrown in honor of Jesus. And there are quite a few people at this party. If you put all three of these accounts together, you find there are at least 17 people who are at this party. Jesus was there reclining at table. You have his disciples. That's 12 more that are there. You also have Lazarus. You have Simon, you have Mary and Martha who are there. So 17 people that are gathered. They're in this room, this, this party where Jesus is the guest of, uh, of honor. And you got this, this ragtag group of people who are together. And the common denominator is Jesus. You've got Peter who was a fisherman before he met Jesus. He was the, that foul mouth, loud mouth who constantly got himself in trouble. Anybody like that here? Oh man, I was trying to, I was trying to trick you. Hey, hey, He's that guy. And then he meets Jesus. And Jesus changes his life forever. There's James and John, these brothers. They're getting ready to inherit their father's business, the family business. Jesus comes along, invites them into his life. They leave everything behind. And and Jesus changes their life forever. You've got Matthew there, the guy writing this book. He's one of the disciples. He used to be a tax collector for the Roman government. And it was one of the most hated jobs in all of Israel because he worked for the, uh, the Roman government and basically 
basically was extorting all of his countrymen in Israel. And it was a way for lying, greedy, materialistic people like Matthew to get rich and have the security of being backed by the Roman Empire. You got a guy like that, Matthew, who's there, who meets Jesus one day and he gives up all his greed and materialism and his high-paying job and his security for his future. He gives all that up to follow Jesus and Jesus changes his life forever. You got these disciples around the table, but they're not the only ones there. You've got this guy named Simon. And Simon's not just Simon. Look at the at verse 6. What's his full name? Simon what? Simon the leper. How'd you like to have that name? <laughs> Titus the stinky mouth. Titus the tuberculosis guy. Wait, wait, how do you like to have that name? You got Simon the leper who is there. Here's what we know. Leprosy is this terrible, terrible disease in the first century. It's a terrible disease now, but then there was absolutely no treatment or cure for it. The only thing that happened when someone was diagnosed with leprosy is they were immediately sent out to live outside the city walls. So they're separated from their family and their friends. They are outcasts literally from all of society. Anytime that a person with leprosy Leprosy saw another person walking outside the city walls. They had to call out, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Stay away from me. What was Simon, the leper, was diagnosed with leprosy, had to move outside the city walls, had to apparently live without his family. But they're throwing Jesus a party in the home of Simon, the leper, you guys have any kind of shot-in-the-dark idea about why a family of a leper would throw a party in celebration of Jesus? Knowing what you know about Jesus, what do you think? What do you think? Real quick, real quick seminary class here. What do you guys think? He healed him, right? Jesus went around healing various diseases. Leprosy was one of them. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or even a seminary grad, and I'm glad for that, to get to the answer that Jesus healed Simon because here's Simon in his house. They're celebrating Jesus. You could say pretty easily Jesus changes Simon forever. And he's not the biggest story there. There's another guy there. His name is Lazarus. In John 12, when it tells this story, it's really significant because John 12 says that Lazarus was sitting right next to Jesus. And in John chapter 11, we find the story behind that story. Lazarus in John chapter 11 got, got sick. Not just kind of sick, he got really sick. Sick to the point where his family knew he was going to die. So they sent word to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, if you get here quickly enough, we know you can keep Lazarus from dying. And Jesus actually intentionally delayed going to this family so that Lazarus would die. Sounds incredibly cruel, right? Just terrible. Well, Jesus doesn't just wait till he's dead. He shows up on the scene when Lazarus has been dead for four whole days. Lazarus wasn't merely dead. He was really most sincerely dead. I have lived my whole life to say that in a context that worked. Thank you for appreciating that. I appreciate that. Here's a story. He's dead, dead. That's not near-death experience after four days, by the way. You don't read that book very often. And now he's sitting right beside Jesus. Not a far stretch to say Jesus changed Lazarus' life forever, right? So here you got this scene. The disciples, Simon, 
Lazarus sitting at a table with all these other people from the city around. Throw in this Jesus party and you find that Lazarus' sisters are there as well. Martha is serving. She's in the kitchen. She's worried about all the details. She's the planner. She wants to know how everything's going to come together. How's this all going to come together? I need to know all the details. How are you going to make the cake? Are you following the recipe? Hey, did somebody think about this and think about that? Martha's that, that one. She's in the background thinking about all these details and how how it's all going to come together. Mary, on the other hand, is doing something else. Mary's actions teach us the point of this story. Look at verse 7 and read what Mary does. John 12 tells us that this is Mary. Verse 7, it just refers to her as a woman. But verse 7, a woman we know to be Mary came up to him, Jesus, with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head. And John tells us that it was so much, it went all the way down to his feet. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Stop right there. At this time in Jewish culture, if you were throwing a party in a host of someone else, someone you wanted to honor. They hadn't invented the pointy party hats yet, and so they had another way to let you know who the the birthday boy was or who the guest of honor was. And here's how they would do that. You would go and you would get a a bit of ointment or perfume, and you would go up to the guest of honor in front of everybody else, and you'd take just a little bit out of that ointment or that perfume, and you'd you'd place it on their forehead. Now, now at this point in time, and and, and I shared this a couple weeks ago very graphically, uh, that people stunk at, at this point in time. They, 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 they literally physically stunk. Um, but, but I'm not going to recreate that scene. Um, that caused enough of a stir. But here's the deal. Is they stunk. But, but when you take this ointment out, it was super concentrated. You put it on the head of that person and everyone who came by that person knew, hey, something's different. What's, what's that? What's that? This must be the guest of honor. This must be the guest of honor. So what would happen is if you had this guest of honor, you'd take a little bit of the ointment out, you'd put it on his forehead. Everybody would know, hey, that's the guest of honor. Well, Mary is looking at this scene and it seems like she realizes, hey, n- nobody's anointed Jesus yet. Like, like no, no, nobody's anointed Jesus yet. He's the guest of honor. How, how are we missing this detail, this most important fact? So she goes back and she gets some ointment and not just any ointment, she got the good stuff, the really good stuff. John 12 lets us know that this amount of ointment, the kind that she got, this really expensive perfume, it, it, was, it was able to be sold for 300 denarii. And I know all of you are well aware of the worth of a denarius, but just for those of you that aren't, it's $50,000 in today's currency. That's like Chanel, right? I don't know. Is that? I don't know perfumes, but it's expensive. Fifty grand of perfume. She comes to Jesus, and the nearer she gets to Jesus, it seems to dawn on her: Jesus isn't just the guest at our party. Jesus isn't isn't just. A, a guest of honor. He, he's a life changer. He, he's a world changer. All the proofs she needed were, were the people around the table. All these people whose lives had been changed forever. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Simon. She remembers the day Simon was, was diagnosed with leprosy and sent away from his family and lived outside her city walls and she couldn't get near him at all. And the only thing he ever said to her, even though they grew up together, was unclean, Mary. Unclean, remember. 
I'm not just, I'm not Simon anymore, Mary. I'm Simon the leper. Stay away. And that's just Mary, not to mention his wife and kids. And she also remembered not only the day he was diagnosed, she remembered the day he came back home alive and well and healthy and transformed by Jesus. And that's not just, that's not just Simon, that's Lazarus, that's her brother. He was dead last week. But there he is right next to Jesus, alive and well, telling his corny jokes. Every family gathering, Lazarus. In a moment, she remembered their disappointment and their despair and their shattered dreams and their brokenness was flipped upside down by this one who changes everything into hope and joy and gladness. Literally the worst moment of their life became the greatest thing anyone had ever heard of, let alone seen or been a part of. No, no, Jesus, Jesus isn't just a guest of honor. There's no one like Jesus. So she takes the alabaster flask and she does something unheard of. She does something extravagant. She opens it up. She breaks it open. And she does not put a little bit on Jesus, right? She pours out the whole thing, every last drop on Jesus, every last bit of this. Why why would a woman like this have $50,000 of perfume laying around anyway? Well, in this culture, it would have been as either her inheritance, it would have been saved for her wedding, the greatest day of her life, or it would have been her nest egg. And since her brother died last week and she realized, if I don't get married, I better have this nest egg because Lazarus won't be there to take care of me. It's even more valuable to her. This, this moment she takes that, that thing, the most valuable thing she had to her name, literally the sum total of her whole life, and she breaks it out. Fifty grand, gone. Her, her nest egg, Gone. Her future wedding celebration, gone. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. Why on earth would a woman like this do a sacrifice like that? The same reason 60 million people would spend $1,000 on an iPhone and then pay to use it every month because she believed it was worth it. Because she believed Jesus was worth it. And notice how the people in this room respond. Look at verse 8. And when the disciples, and I'm glad that Matthew points out it's the disciples. Uh, Judas gets all the FaceTime as evil, but the disciples saw it. They were indignant. They were outraged, saying, why this waste? And then they come up with this great, you know, first century committee answer. This could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. What a waste. You realize what we just read there? The disciples, these people who had been totally changed by Jesus, missed the point entirely. They call this gift, this sacrifice of praise, a waste. Imagine a woman so in love with Jesus, so transformed by Jesus, 
so stirred to praise Jesus that she honors him at incredible cost to herself and the disciples sit on the sidelines criticizing the decision and say it's a waste. We know that all their lives had been changed and and later on they all, other than Judas, they finally get it because they pour their lives out too. But Jesus has something to say about it right here. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus says something. He says, Jesus, verse 10, Jesus, aware of this, said to himself, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a, look at how Jesus describes it, a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel, now look at this here, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus knows what's going on in the minds and hearts of his disciples. He he knows they think it's a waste for Mary to do that. He says, listen, you guys need to know something. She got it right. I'm worth it. She, she got it right. I'm worth it. It's a beautiful thing, not a wasteful thing. I'm worth every last drop of the sum total of her whole life. I'm worth it. Jesus even points to the fact that her gift is even more incredible and more powerful than she realizes. It went to anoint him for burial. It signified the kind of death that Jesus died. Jesus says, her act of sacrifice became a demonstration of my own act of sacrifice. Because guys, I'm going to be poured out too. Jesus says, in a few days, I'm going to be walking with a cross on my back to a hill called Calvary, and I'm going to give every last drop of myself poured out for you. For every man, woman, and child who's far from God, who's broken in their sin, I'm going I'm I'm to give myself out. Entirely and completely. And her sacrifice is a demonstration that points to mine. To the point that being a follower of Jesus will one day come to mean great sacrifice. Do you realize that? What actually happens when Jesus says that for the rest of time all over the world, whenever the gospel, the good news about my death and resurrection is told, this story will be told about someone else who poured it all out in honor of me. What he's referring to is the fact that the gospel is not just a story of Christ's sacrifice, it's a call to our own. You want to come to Jesus? You need to know the truth. And I don't know that a televangelist is going to tell you this. So I'm glad you're here today. It's a life that begins with death. It's a life that we lay down the pride and arrogance of our own self-righteousness and say, I can't fix myself. I'm broken and sinful and I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. It's calling Jesus Lord, which means you're in control of my past, my present, my future, my hopes, my dreams, my whole life. I lay it all down. It means that we receive what only Christ can give to us and that we, we trust in what only Christ can do for us. Jesus is saying in this, my sacrifice for you guys, for you people, for every man, woman, and child is going to be so valuable that every sacrifice you make for me will be totally worth it. So much so that wherever the gospel's preached, 
this story would be told. Do you think that came true? Here we are 2,000 laters, half, 2,000 laters, 2,000 somethings laters, <laughs> minutes, hours, months, days. Who even knows at this point? Probably years though. 2,000 years later, we're gathered in this room halfway across the world telling this story. Yeah, Jesus got it right because his sacrifice is so valuable that every sacrifice we make is totally worth it. Guys, I want you to know that the life of following Jesus, it looks like Mary. You you guys want to talk about getting it right. It, It looks like Mary. And as your pastor, I want you to know, I realize what I'm calling you to do in this first initiative. I am asking every single person who's part of this church family, every single one of you to take a step of faith into a life of sacrifice. I'm asking you to take your time and your energy and your influence and your money and to lay it down in front of Jesus to use for the sake of his name and building his kingdom and not our own. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you that because I'm convinced that's what Jesus is calling us to do as his people. And I'm aware that week after week you keep hearing me and our other leaders ask you to take steps of faith into incredible sacrifice for your life as a follower of Jesus. We are asking you to sacrificially realign your life, your time, your talent so that you can serve people for the sake of Jesus. We're asking you to sacrificially commit to be trained and sent out to more boldly share the gospel of Jesus so that every man, woman, and child in this community can have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus through the people of this church. We're asking you to sacrificially give over and above your regular financial giving through this church for the sake of Jesus. I realize we are asking you for extravagant sacrifice, not marginal, not nominal, and not easy. Extravagant sacrifice so we can step into a future of reaching every man, woman, and child so they might be given the opportunity to be changed forever with the grace and gospel of Jesus so that one day we would gather around a table and tell the stories of how we all were changed by Jesus. People who are lepers and outside, broken and hopeless to hear the gospel of Jesus and be brought in to the family of God through the sacrifice of our service and our sharing and our giving, and I want you to know, I need you to know something. Jesus is worth it. Whatever you may lay down, Jesus is worth it. Whatever Christ may be calling you to extravagantly sacrifice, Jesus is worth it. You need to know we will not step into this life of reaching every man, woman, child through the sacrifice of this people of church because we believe they are worth it. We will only step into that when we believe Jesus is.
And I need you to know something else. It's already happening. Guys, the reason I was so excited to be here this morning is as we look at the word of God, as I've been thinking over what happened here with Mary and this incredible sacrifice of extravagant love, you need to know something in many, many ways. In many ways, there are people in this room today who are taking a page out of Mary's book. There are people here today who are already pouring it out because they believe Jesus is worth it. This first initiative is starting to have all the markings of a movement of God. There are people who are pouring it out to serve for the sake of Jesus. You need to know this. There are multiple people in this room today who have felt the Holy Spirit stirring them to take early retirement so that they can be volunteers full-time as part of this church family. Do you want to know why they would do that? Because Jesus is worth it. There are others who are willing to leave lucrative careers, dream jobs in some instances, so they can pour themselves out to the mission of reaching every man, woman, and child for the sake of Jesus Christ. Do you know why they would do that? Because Jesus is worth it. There are several individuals that I've spoken with who can't retire yet, but are praying about changing their jobs so they can more radically serve Jesus as part of this church family. Do you want to know why they would do that? Because Jesus is worth it. One of the things that we're going to need to do is we're reaching more and more people to start a second worship service. There are multiple reasons we'll need to do that, but when we do, we're going to need more people serving Jesus as part of this church family in places like children's ministry, student ministry, welcome teams, perhaps the most challenging spot is going to be starting two Sunday schools, not just two classes, two time slots. It means we need more and more people who are willing to start more and more classes for more and more people. And I want you to know there are already teachers who are recruiting people from their class who are able to teach to leave that class so they could start a new Sunday school class. Do you want to know why they would lay down that kind of service? Why they would leave a small group filled with people they love to start a new group with people they don't know? Because Jesus is worth it. There are other people who are pouring it out to share the gospel of Jesus in this community. I spoke with a young guy a couple of weeks ago. God began to stir his heart about sharing the gospel of Jesus because we've been talking about serving, sharing the gospel, giving for the sake of the gospel. And this guy had his heart stirred and he heard us talking about the fact that we desire to see every man and woman in every nursing home in this community have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit began to stir his heart. He didn't even wait for commitment Sunday because it wasn't about that. It was about following Jesus. And so one day on his way home from work, he stopped into a nursing home. He didn't have a plan. He just pulled into a parking spot and he prayed, God, I don't even really know what I'm going to ask them to do. I need you to give me the power to do this. I need you. I need you to make a way for me. Would you open a door? Would you give me words? Would you help this to go well? Because if you don't help me, I, I can't do it on my own. And by the way, would you help the person at the front desk be nice? Because if she's mean, I am not coming back. I know how I am. And he walked in there just trusting in the Holy Spirit. And he he took the straightforward approach. He told him the name, his name. 
He, he said, I'm from First Baptist Merritt Island. I want to come and share Jesus with the people who live in this nursing home. I want to bring my, my wife and my kids. And I want to read the Bible to anybody I can read the Bible to. And I would like to share the love of Jesus with anyone I could share the love of Jesus with. Uh, um, um, I liked his tactfulness, just straightforward. It's about Jesus. Can you imagine the sacrifice that it took for a a 30-something guy with three kids and a busy career to pull into that nursing home? And not just that initial investment of the courage and the boldness that it required, the willingness to be rejected, but also the amount of time that it's going to take for him when he could be watching TV or playing golf or fishing to take his kids to share the gospel of Jesus with these people. You want to know what the person at the front desk said, the lady at the front desk said? You want to hear the rest of that story? She said, I've been hoping for two months someone like you would come in and ask to do something like that. You know why? Because God wants to do something. Because God wants to do something. In every man, woman, and child in this community, the first initiative isn't our initiative. Christ started it 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross and sent his followers out into this world to make disciples of every man, woman, and child. Jesus wants to do something. And there are some individuals who are sacrificing to share the gospel of Jesus with other people in this community. There are others who are sacrificing, pouring it all out to give generously so we can better care for every man, woman, child who gathers with us. There, There are... One family who's already given a second home to the first initiative. Why would they do that? Because Jesus is worth it. There there are other families actively looking to downsize their current homes, give the profits to the first initiative. Why would they do that? Because Jesus is worth it. Many people in this room are deferring the purchase of things like cars or boats in order to give that money to first initiative calls. Why would they do that? Because Jesus is worth it. Listen, folks, this is not just a Jesus party that we are hosting here. And next Sunday is not just a Jesus party we are hosting then. These are opportunities for us to pour ourselves out, to break the box and lay it all down. And we need to realize it's already happening. The Holy Spirit is already moving. Mary is already anointing Jesus. That's not in question. The question is this, will the rest of the disciples whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Talk about how over the top it is to take those kinds of steps of sacrifice or will we join the movement? Will we lay it all down and say Jesus is worth it? Mary brought all that she had, broke it out, and never looked back because Jesus is worth it. Next Sunday is our commitment Sunday. And it's, it's not about having all the details settled. It's about the willingness that if Jesus stirs, will I respond in willingness? There in the See backs in front of you, there are commitment cards. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you grab one of those commitment cards? Maybe for, a, if it's a husband and wife, you guys can have one of those commitment cards. Some of you have already filled yours out, but I would encourage you to even keep one as a reminder 
to you, but would you grab one of those commitment cards? I'm just going to ask you to take one. And I'm going to ask a couple of individuals who are going to be singing. Uh, we're going to close our, our service out a little bit differently. Um, I want us to pray about how God may be calling us to step into serving, sharing, and giving as an, as an act of extravagant sacrifice. And all I'm asking is, would you be willing to say, God, I will lay it all down. I will lay it all down. Whatever you call, whatever you stir in me, I will lay it down. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Father, we need you to do what only you can do. And I'm asking you, Lord, would you stir our hearts to believe that Jesus is just worth it? That because of his sacrifice on our behalf, every sacrifice we make for his sake is more than worth it. God, I pray that you would stir us even in these moments of how you're calling us to step out in extravagance and lay it all down before Jesus. God, you've got to do this. You've got to, you've got to stir us. You've got to open our eyes and I'm asking you to do it. I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Right there, would you listen to this song? I heard this a couple weeks ago and thought, let's, let's do something different. Instead of us singing a song together, we almost always do congregational worship. Would we listen to this song and would you make this your prayer that you would lay down all at the feet of Jesus? So hold that commitment card, enter into a time of prayer and reflection. Ask the Holy Spirit how he's calling you to lay your life down for the sake of Jesus Christ.